All right, let's get started. Let's get started. So in the conversation that you saw me have on the streets, and hopefully we'll have a lot more of those, I asked him, what is your worldview? And he said, in what way? And I said, how do you determine your ethics? And as you heard him say, he said he did it through pragmatism. And those who don't know what that means, that just basically means whatever works is right. So what I showed him was a scenario that would work. It would work to eat a bunch of people and kill off all the rest. Then you notice he started to backpedal and say, well, that would cause suffering. So I said, oh, so you kind of want to leave pragmatism now and go to something else. That's okay. Say your whole thing. Don't want to embarrass you. And then he went to saying, yeah, I do want to add that to my worldview. And I said, well, even if you say happiness and those kinds of things, people could be happy killing others. The Germans were happy considering the Jews as rats. Slave owners were happy. Then he began to realize he was in a dead end, and I showed him where his worldview ended and where ours began, and I gave him the golden rule, and I said, what's better than the golden rule? And he tried to have a little argument in there, well, you got to love yourself, and I said, well, true Christians who love God will love themselves because they have value from God. Now, here's the situation. All of us are in the world, and we view it through a set of beliefs and beliefs that affect our everyday life. That gentleman was walking around literally thinking whatever works is right until it got confronted. Most people don't think about how they think. Let me give you an example about how easy deception is. Imagine if while you were a child, before you really knew what it was like to see things and understand things, so maybe around one years old, someone put contacts in your eyes that would grow with your eyes, but here's the thing, everything you would see with those contacts would make the world look black and white, gray in other words. You would never see color. You would look at the same botanical gardens and you would say, all I see is black and white. Now, I could say to you, look at this pink rose. Look at this purple flower. Isn't it beautiful? And you would continue to say, I don't see it. You might even think that I was lying to you. Now, what we realize is when we deceive ourselves like that, we have what's called a relative truth. It's the way we see it relative to our own experience. But something could be off that we don't know. Maybe we weren't taught right. Maybe we were shown things that were wrong. And so we're going through life, in other words, with these contacts and seeing the world in black and white or gray, not realizing it's a world of color. And when people tell us, there's another way we think that we think they're lying that's how important a worldview is everybody must examine their worldview what is your worldview open up your bibles with me to second corinthians chapter 10 i want to show you how the bible teaches us to develop a worldview This would be a great day to download the app if you haven't already so that you could have a look at these intensive notes in front of you. They're on the app because this is coming in and out. We think that the projectors is probably overheating or something. I'll try to turn it on periodically because I did get the dust out there. But our app and website have the notes. MPIChurch.org. Scroll down to recent sermons. You'll see the worldview message. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Now, I want you to think about how the world wages war when it comes to worldviews. 
Think about this. If you were living in the Incan Empire or the Aztec Empire, this is what they would say. Our worldview is right. If you disagree, you go up there and get sacrificed. They would fight and force people to believe their worldview. Imagine being a part of the Zulu nation or Egypt. You don't believe this pharaoh is God? Off with your head. Children, what do you say? Oh, he's God. Now they take your children and raise them up with that belief system. Roman Empire, Greece, from every continent, from Asia to Latin and South Central and South America to Europe, everybody has fought over their worldview to make it true. The Bible says we live in the world, but we don't wage war as the world. Sadly, there was a time in Christian history where the Roman Catholic Church took over countries and made them Christians. By the way, that's why we protest the Catholic Church. We are Protestants, and that's why you don't see a picture of the uh, the mother of Guadalupe up here today, okay? So we don't do it their way. And by the way, they killed us too. Study the Spanish Inquisitions. Christians who believe that the Bible was for everybody, shouldn't be in Latin, an ancient language nobody understands, should be for everybody. They burned us at the stakes. They martyred us, okay? So I understand if you want to put that on Christianity, but that's not true Christianity. That's people abusing the Bible. Same thing with slave owners. The bottom line to this is we don't fight with our worldview physically to subject people to it. We have to go to the level of argumentation to convince them. When Jesus came, he didn't say, I'm God. You don't believe me? Watch this person burn. Now, do you believe me? No? Watch this person burn. How many know God could have did that? But he didn't wage war with his worldview that way. The Bible says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Everybody say strongholds. Now, this is where you got to go to Ephesians chapter 6 with me to be able to understand where the battle first originated. Where did these ideas that teach us against God come from? Where's the first place we hear somebody introducing to us an idea, a view of the world that's anti-God? Where's the first place? Genesis. At what location? The Garden of Eden. Through who? Through the serpent who is the devil, right? And so what does the devil say in his very first temptation? Has God said? He gets Adam and Eve to question the way they're seeing the world. And he says, I'm going to show you another way to see the world. Why is that so important? Because when we sinned, the Bible says we then entered into a spiritual battle. And it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, that we should be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Some of you remember we went through this. And then it says, put on the full armor of God in verse 11 so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Because we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers, and the dark world and heavenly uh, spiritual forces of evil. So where did the idea of abortion come from originally? Satan. Come on, think about it. Where did the original idea of idolatry, worshiping people, treating them as gods come from? Satan. The Bible literally says that a third of an innumerable amount of angels fell with Satan. So you can imagine there's probably 100, 200, 300 million fallen angels that are sowing deception into people's minds like receiving a radio signal from your car. You can listen to K-Love or you can listen to B96. It's up to you. And so demons deceived people. Worship yourself. 
kill your neighbor. All of these things. When you study with Cain, the Bible literally says with Cain, Cain, don't kill your brother. God's speaking to him. Sin is crouching at your door and desires to have mastery over you. Who was using sin to tempt Cain? It was the devil, these demons, these evil forces. So now when we look at our worldview, we are not fighting humans. We are ultimately fighting the divine powers, or not the divine, the demonic powers with divine power. Demonic powers versus divine powers. There is literally a spiritual battle for the views we hold today. So this is why we don't fight with physical weapons because let's say I got upset with Oprah and I said, Oprah, I don't like the way you think. I'm going to kill you and make sure you go to hell. The demon still exists and will deceive another. So the physical weapon is only a temporary thing over somebody to get them to try to believe with you, to try to torture them, to change their opinion like Muslims do to Christians in other nations. That doesn't really work. If we want to win the war of worldviews, we must know that first we have to tear down the powers of Satan and destroy his lies. And how did Jesus defeat the lies of the devil that defeated Adam and Eve? When you go to the book of Genesis, you can see that the devil tempted them in three different ways. And I have this in my notes, and I color-coded it so you guys can go back and see it. The Bible talks about in 1 John chapter 2, 15 and onward, that we are not to love the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I color-coded green for lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes is red, and the pride of life. When Jesus was being tempted by by the devil, you can see he says to him, turn the rocks into stone. That's the lust of the flesh. When he said to him, I, uh, when he showed him the kingdoms of the world, said, if you bow down to me, I will give you all of these things. That was the lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life was to throw yourself off a cliff and the angels will rescue you. Well, that coincides exactly with Adam and Eve's temptation. The lust of the flesh was that the tree of knowledge and good and evil looked good. The lust of the eyes was that it looked good to eat. And the pride of life was, I'll get something out of this. I'll gain wisdom. Now, how did Jesus defeat the devil in the three specific temptations that we had lost? Every single time the devil came back to, uh, Jesus came back to the devil, he said, it is written. So what is the sword of the spirit? What is the proper way to tear down the demonic strongholds? Through the word of God. So our worldview is also a weapon. Think about it. The worldview of a Christian is also our weapon. Now we go back to this and says, so we don't live, we live in the world, but we don't wage war like the world. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So then what do we do after we have prayed, spoken the word, fought against the devil in our prayer closet? What do we do with arguments when we hear humans repeat the demonic lies? Do we say, let's all just get along, that's your opinion, and that's, this is my opinion? No, we demolish arguments. Somebody say, we demolish arguments. Come on, say it again. We demolish arguments. We demolish every single argument. We demolish, as the Bible continues on, every single pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So everybody get this. You have to get this if you want to understand the war of worldviews. I love Muslims, but I hate Islam. I love atheists, but I hate atheism. Do you get it now? 
I love Roman Catholics, but I hate Roman Catholicism. How many have heard the saying, love the sinner, hate the sin? That's biblical. When the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his son for them uh, to die for us, did Jesus so love child molesting in the world? Did Jesus so love false prophets in the world and their false prophecies? No. When it says God so loved the world, he's talking about people. So the Bible says hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. So we demolish strongholds, arguments, pretensions that set himself up against the knowledge of God. And it says there, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. This is the battle you have to face now. You have to take captive thoughts in your mind that come against the worldview of Christianity. So the biggest battle you'll fight most consistently is not with your sassy neighbor that doesn't believe in God. The most consistent battle that you will fight consistently is the battle of your own mind. And so you take captive your thoughts. So let me give you an example where you'll have to take some thoughts captive. So let's say your friend comes out as lesbian, and she's such a beautiful person. And she says, I still love God, but I just feel God made me to love women. And I feel so happy now that I've gotten it off my chest, and I want you to accept me for who I am. And you know what? The church that I go to accepts me. The pastor says, God made me this way. At that point, you are going to have a choice with the thoughts that come in your mind. You will have thoughts that will set themselves up against God. God's knowledge in your mind. Thoughts that will say, well, maybe the Old Testament has changed. Maybe God's New Testament commands have changed. Maybe that was just an outdated book. Maybe God did make her that way, and these scholars and pastors who have always seen it as sin is wrong. But what must you do to that thought? You take it captive. You grab that little thought. You say, you come here, you little thought. You're not going to change my mind. I'm going to make you be obedient to Christ. Now, does that, amen, but does that mean now we make that person our slave and say, you won't be a lesbian, you're going to be forced to come to church. Now, if you are a parent, you can do that until they become an adult. Don't abuse them, but your rules, your house, and that's the freedom we have in this country, praise God. They won't take your children from you if you bring them to church. There are countries that will happen. You can't bring your children to church, and if they find out, they'll take your children from you. Listen to me. So we have the right as parents to say, our house, our rules. My mom said, you don't like it, you can go. So I left my house at 16. The best thing she ever did was kick me out because I got to see what real sin was like. It's not like I can have the blessings of God and live like the devil. She said, you're going to see how the devil going to treat you now. Okay. So that was a good mama. So let me say a good mama. Amen. Because she stood on the word that said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. So we take captive the thoughts and we make it obedient to Jesus, not people. So then when we meet the people, we show them by example, hey, the stuff that's been going on in your head has been going on in my head too, but I've been demolishing it. And if you let me, I'm going to spit some truth at you right now and demolish your argument and show you how to take it captive. And when we do that, we do it in love. As you notice with that gentleman, I never had to put a word in his mouth. I only interrupted him when I thought he was done speaking. It wasn't to, to, to force him to say anything. But I showed him his worldview and where it ends. 
Most people don't even think through their worldview, especially in our culture right now. You have a lot of people brought up Christians, and now they've traded Christianity for something else, relativism, atheism, pragmatism, all these isms. Our job is to show them that they don't even compare to Christianity, the truth of God, and you can do that in love. Now, turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, a familiar passage that talks about the transformation we are supposed to have in our mind. Because it's not just that we do it one time. It's not just like, oh, I'm a Christian now. My mind has been changed, so I'm never going to think about these issues. For the rest of your life, you are going to have to filter your thoughts through the Word of God. You're going to have to decide what you think about, not just in what we would call culturally hot topics, but in how you look at your marriage. Will you have the worldview of what God has joined together, let nobody tear apart? Or will you see it through the no-fault divorce, I can leave this dude anytime I want? Will you look at uh, children, will you look at your parents like, you know what, I don't have to listen to them because they don't live good lives. I go to church, they don't go to church. Or will you look at it as, you know what, me obeying my parents will give them a testimony of how good God is. All of us will have to make decisions, not only just in cultural hot topics, but in day-to-day living, how we see the world. In other words, your worldview affects your entire world. Can you think of anything that doesn't affect or is not impacted by your worldview? I can't. From the very moment you were born, you were a part of a world, and people started teaching you how to view it. Now, is any wrong view worth holding on to? Any wrong view, can you find a good reason to hold on to it? In other words, can you find a reason to believe 2 plus 2 is 5? Well, you know what? My mom taught me 2 plus 2 is 5, and since I get along with her and I don't want to hurt her feelings, I'm going to keep believing 2 plus 2 is 5. Is that a noble thing to do? My mom taught me to pray to the mother of Guadalupe, and so when I'm with her and we go visit my dead aunt, her sister, we're going to pray to the mother of Guadalupe. Well, it gets quiet when I preach like that. You see how quickly we now sacrifice truth for feelings where the Bible says truth over feelings. Doesn't mean we're rude. Doesn't mean we shove it down their throat. It just means we say, I'm sorry, I don't see this situation the same way you do. You think your aunt still, or your sister's still there and you're praying to her. You think Jesus' mother on earth can actually hear you. All of that I have nothing to do with. I'll be in the car and I'll just wait for you. And if you tell me I don't love your sister, my aunt that way, then I'm just going to tell you you don't know me because I do love her. I just don't want to show the love that way. See, standing up for a worldview sometimes will cost you something, won't it? So the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, 1 and onward, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we've talked about we give up our bodies for Jesus. We give up our comfort. And then verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Somebody say the renewing of your mind. Thank you. The renewing of your mind is not the renovation of your mind. This is not God gradually changing you over time. Some people think the renewing of your mind is like this. I became a Christian, pretty jacked up, and now for the rest of my life, God's going to be renovating on me. So whenever you catch me, I'll tell you how much percent of me is still new. So you just became a Christian. You might say to somebody, you know what? I only got about 1% renovated. God only switched out one cabinet. The rest of me, 99%, I'm bad. 
Catch me three years later. You know what? God finished the kitchen, but my house, the rest of it is terrible. That's not what this is talking about. It's not renovating. The word is literally saying make new, make new. Don't think about Christianity as God renovating you. Think about Christianity as being born as a child and growing and maturing. A child is new to the experience of life. And so this time, literally being born again, instead of getting the wrong glasses put on by culture and friends and teachers and, and your favorite band or your favorite rapper, instead of listening to what they have to say, now as a born-again Christian, your mind is going to be new in situations because it's been transformed to be like Jesus. So it starts off new, and your job is to keep it new as you come into new situations. Because look at it. It says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So God actually says, put my worldview to the test. So now you're a Christian, you're born again, but you're not really good at it yet. So now you come to a situation you're familiar with. Let's go to your job. Let's say the manager keeps putting more responsibilities on you and ignores the lazy person because the lazy person is his or her friend. They favor that person, but they put more work on you, and yet you're getting paid the same. The old self would have something to say about that and treat that person a certain way. But now you are coming as a babe, as a child of God, with a new set of glasses. And you go, okay, I see what's going on. I'm as wise as a serpent, as the Bible says, but I'm going to be as harmless as a dove. And now I'm going to test God's way of doing things. If I talk to the manager, I'm going to do it in respect. If she doesn't change, I'm not going to curse her out. Back in the day, I would have cursed her out. And then you know what I'll do? I'll continue to work hard so the general manager sees me, and I'll become a manager on my own shift. You see, we just transformed the way we would have handled that situation because we took a different worldview. We took a different approach. That is the pattern of the Bible, and the Bible says he wants you to do that in all ways. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. Amen. So the worldview, once again, is how you see the world. And now what I want to show you is a chart. And you see all those notes I skipped, so we're going to have a part two or three of this at least. I know for sure a part two, so come next week. But I want to hit right here and check on your notes and catch up and read and make sure you guys are learning with me here because this is very important. This is how I would situate all of our beliefs. Get a good look at it before the, the, the projector goes out again, okay, or maybe take a picture with your phone, okay, be, be slick. Now let's be smarter than the projector. We have to understand levels of knowledge. I can put anybody's worldview in my chart right here. I can put their chart, I can put their worldview in this chart because this is how everybody has to build their level of knowledge. The study of knowledge is called, is called epistemology, okay? A lot of big words, a lot of fancy titles we can add to these things. But the bottom line is you need to know why you know what you know. Think about your thinking for 30 seconds. Let's go there. How many want to go on a trip? Okay, let's take a little trip right now. How would you know that you are here in this room right now? If your worldview cannot even give you a foundation of how you're in this room, your worldview is not adequate to solve any problems we would do in this room. Everybody listen to me. If your worldview cannot explain why you're in this room, your worldview can't explain what to do in this room. Okay, let's go down a trip right now. Imagine while you were sleeping last night, an advanced alien race came into your room. Look what they did. They took out your body, put it on a spaceship, and took it with them. 
They knew that you would freak out if you saw where you were at, kind of like the Matrix thing. So what they did is they took your brain out of your body, and they put it up to their probes and their virtual reality. Right now, you think you are in this room enjoying a church service with us, but they are simply playing virtual reality with you right now. You're literally halfway across the galaxy on your way to their home planet. How can you tell me, according to a worldview, that you're not there now? The Greeks used to argue about this, and they would say, how do we know, because they didn't have technology like we do to say virtual worlds and aliens. This is what they would say. How do we know we're not in a dream of one of the gods? How do we know this right now is not a dream that one of the gods is having that we're in? You see, any view other than Christianity cannot answer that, that question. Because now, just think about what you may say. Well, I'm here. I pinch myself. Yeah, but every time you're doing that, that's them telling you to pinch yourself. You see, now you're stuck. Well, I feel like I'm here because there's no scar on my head. Yeah, in the virtual world, you have no scar. But, Pastor, you wouldn't be here if I was in a dream state. No, they programmed me in. They have the technology to know from your memories you've sat here before. They're just doing a sermon that's happening in the planet Earth, but right now you're hearing it towards planet Neptune. Everything you would say from your own experience could not stop the endless cycle of you doubting why you're even here or if you're here how does Christianity answer this? Now, let me just say this. All religions try to answer this. Why am I here? Who am I? And where do I go when game is over? Everybody's trying to answer that. And we will have entire sermons on Islam, Catholicism, Eastern philosophy, Buddhism, Hinduism. Those will be great times to invite your friends. So trust me, those will be things where I take it on, head on. But I'm just going to present Christianity right now. How do I know what I know is because I start with an axiom and and the axiom of the Christian is God's word. Now, people may think, that just sounds so simple, Pastor. How do you know it's God's word? Maybe the alien told you it was God's word. Here's how I know God's word is true. Watch this, because God told me it was true. Now, you might say, oh, Pastor, that's not going to work with any professor or any smart person on my job. They're going to say, how stupid is that? You just know it's true because God told you it's true. Now, listen. Remember, everything you said was based on your own experience. Therefore, you could be deceiving yourself or being deceived by those aliens. I said this is outside of my experience, and it's because of what God said. This is the only way out of the loop. Someone who has the knowledge must tell us we're not in the matrix. Someone must guarantee and prove to us that we are not figments of a God's imagination. How does this work in the Bible? John chapter 1 verse 1. Everybody go there. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word, Word is logos or logic. Somebody say logic. In the beginning was the logic, and the logic was with God, and the logic was God. Wow. Everybody stop right here. Our Christian Bible literally takes the Greek philosopher's term of logic and applies it towards our God. In the beginning, before the heavens and earth were ever made, in Genesis chapter 1 says, in the beginning, God made the heavens and earth. So if in the beginning, the heavens and earth weren't there, we know the word is there, logic is there. Jesus also said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is in Jesus. Now watch, you got to go deep with me here. Truth is not just a thing I write on a piece of paper, or logic is not just a thing that I do. Here's one of the first deductions of logic that the Greeks did. All men are mortal. Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. Does everybody get that logical formulation? But guess what? How do we know to recognize that? 
Where is logic? Can you paint it red? Where is truth? How do we know truth from error? It is in the mind of God. The Christian actually says the mind of God is the sun, and all the rays that we see coming from the sun are all of the knowledge we're experiencing. We cannot say that the rays come from themselves. They come from a source. Where is the source of our logic? It's the logic of God. Where is the source of our truth? Where is the source of our morals? Everybody say God. But the Bible goes one step further when it tells us that he's the source. It then says in John 1.14 that he, the word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And he came full of glory from the Father, full of grace and truth. Somebody say grace and truth. Everything we have to have as a foundation for humanity is literally found in the person of Jesus. Track with me here. He is full of grace. He is full of truth. God is love and gives forgiveness. All of that is because of Jesus. God is true all because of Jesus. You cannot substitute this with anything else. That is our first and foremost axiom. Now go back to the chart and get this. Everybody think about this as I show you here. This chart says that we all start at a beginning point. Now, what did I say my beginning point was? What did I say my axiom was? The Word of God. How do I know the Word of God is true? Because God said it. Now, try to defeat that. I will prove to you it's impossible to be the contrary. The moment you try to defeat it, are you going to use logic to try to defeat my axiom of saying that God is my foundation? Yeah, because you're not going to say, uh, color red smells like autumn on Tuesdays. The color red doesn't smell like autumn on Tuesday. That's a nonsensical sentence. The moment you argue with me, you're using logic. Do you understand? So before you even get that phrase out of your mouth, I'm going to say justify logic. I just did. It's a person. You justify it right now. They say, well, it came from my brain. Your brain is a bag of chemicals. Show me logic living inside of that brain of chemicals. We ascend to it with our mind. Sounds like a soul. You're borrowing from my worldview. Stop it. Stick with yours. You're just a material creature. How does an immaterial thing like mathematics and logic make sense to your chemical brain made of tissue? How does a meatloaf understand logic in other words? I don't care how many chemicals you pour on it. You see, you can't even make an argument against mine unless you first believe in God being logic. So now we've limited our gods to the gods of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jewish, Hindu, a Jewish, Christianity, or Islam. Christianity now stands out. Our God became flesh, said he would die on a cross, did. Jewish people deny the Messiah. We can prove it from their scriptures. He is the Messiah. Muslims say he's the Messiah but not son of God. We show that he rose from the dead and proved he was the son of God, not just a prophet. Game over. It's impossible to be wrong. Try to find another way to disprove my God being logic without you using logic because that belongs in my worldview box. I put logic in my box. I just explained it. You don't get to use it unless you explain why logic is in your box. Does everybody get it? You can't, listen to this phrase, you can't borrow from my worldview to try to defeat my worldview. That's like sitting on the lap of God so you can slap him in the face. You can't do that. You can't even be close to God's face unless he puts you on his lap. You can't know what a illogical form phrase is unless you know the source of logic. 
So what appears, what appears to be elementary rocks the world every single time. What I am teaching you is not something that they defeat easily. They think they will when they hear it because it sounds foolish to them that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. We saw His, his glory. He, became, he was full of grace and truth. They'll say that's all this make-believe. But here's what I say. I just showed you how I explain logic. Your turn. Your turn. Do you get it? Can I hear an amen? Now, pointing to a black screen, uh, from our axiom, we get presuppositions. Presuppositions are things that now you must accept for that axiom to work. So here, let me give you guys an example. Let's say somebody has the axiom of there is no God. Their presupposition is automatically going to have to be there is no soul either. Does everybody get that? Can you believe in a soul if you don't believe in God? No. How, how are you going to have a soul that's immaterial? Where did it come from if you don't think there's a God? Evolution of physical sources, of physical chances, cannot make an immaterial thing. Do you guys understand what I'm trying to say? So if you automatically deny God, do you know what you've already presupposed and most of them don't even know? They've denied themselves. You say, Pastor, oh, you can't tell them that they don't even have a person, that they're just a bag of chemicals. I show them Dr. Alex Rosenberg, the authority on atheistic living. He wrote a book called The Atheist Guide to Reality. And do you know what he basically starts off his book saying? He starts off his book saying, you better toughen up, buttercup, because all of you atheists acting like you have meaning in life, you're actually not good atheists. To be a good atheist on the axiom of atheism, you have to have the presuppositions. You must have the beliefs that we have no soul, life is meaningless, and there is not even an eye inside of you, and the eye is an illusion of just what your brain chemicals do. And you know what he says at the end? I'll, I'll read it to you from his book. The self, the person, the I inside the body is an illusion. At the end of his book, last sentence, I'll just show it to one brother. You see where it says here the backstory? That means it's now the end of the book. This is the last sentence of his book. Will you read it for everybody to Just the highlighted part of his book. If you still can't sleep at night, even after accepting science's answers to the persistent questions, you probably just need one more little thing besides Epicurean detachment. Take a Prozac or your favorite serotonin inhibitor and keep taking them till they kick in. Wow. Did you hear what it says? If you can't sleep at night now realizing yourself is just an illusion, just take more drugs and they'll kick in. Dr. Alex Rosenberg debated one of our Christians and got rocked so hard over and over because all we kept doing is coming back with the claims. And, of course, people are trying to do it without smiling and laughing. But, you see, these people think they're so smart because they teach at Oxford and Harvard and they have all of these names, uh, degrees behind their names. But our guys were just asking him, hey, if you're not a person, who wrote your book? If life is meaningless, what she says at the beginning, then why is there a meaning to the atheist guide of reality? If there's a meaning here that your words make sense and it's not the color of, of purple smells like autumn on Wednesday, how in the world are you doing this if yourself is an illusion and there's no meaning? What you do is you show them their contradictions between their axioms and their presuppositions. The Christians' presuppositions fit perfectly within their axioms. And I'm going to teach on that in just a few moments in closing. We believe there's a God. 
We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe humans were made in his image and that Jesus died to save us because we're special and we're going to be judged. Those things guide the way we see the world and they don't contradict our axiom. They actually confirm our axiom. So the problem that people have is most of the time they don't even know their foundation. They can't even put in a word what they believe is their worldview. And then second of all, they don't even realize their presuppositions they think they believe so strongly actually contradict their worldview. And that's what we're going to help you to do. So the Bible belongs in every part of our life and aspect. And you may say, well, Pastor, what about separation of church and state? Listen, I'm not trying to get the church into the state so that everybody has to come and go to my church service. But don't they, listen, don't they wear their worldview glasses in politics? So bring your worldview glasses in politics. Don't they bring their worldview into the business? Doesn't, does, isn't that what they're rapping about, young people? Their worldview. We should be doing all things from our worldview. And then lastly, we have propositions. So let me give you an example. From the axiom of God and his word, I presuppose that human sexuality is male and female. Therefore, I propose to you to save your sexuality within a marriage of one man, one woman, and honor God. You see, I made a proposition to you based off of my axioms and presuppositions. Now you've examined my worldview. Now it's up to you if you want to follow it. That's what we as Christians are offering the world. And what are the things at the top? The things at the top are opinions. And opinions, everybody has them. They're like armpits, and most of the time they what? They stink. So we're not here to argue opinions. And do you know that even though we do science based on the presupposition of God, watch, how many people like science? How many like that science works in the real world? How many are glad that mechanical science worked on your car today and it brought you here, combustion, worked in your engine? How many are happy for those things? Okay, can a worldview outside of Christianity explain why science works? No, because in Christianity, get this, God is not a force like Hinduism. He's an intelligent mind. So if an intelligent mind designed the world, intelligent minds should be able to discover how the world was made. Do you get it? So what is science? Intelligent minds backtracking the intelligence of God. We're literally reverse engineering what God put in place. We're looking at the molecules he designed going backward to the beginnings. He looked at it moving forward. We're meeting him on that journey. That's the quest of knowledge. And is that just my personal opinion? No, that's been proven in history. Who were the ones that discovered the scientific method? Christians. Who were the ones that discovered and came up with calculus? Sir Isaac Newton. Christians. Who are the ones that give us all of these foundations we're now using, Christians. So let us not argue about science. Somebody says, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. I believe in God because I believe in science. Science does not disprove my God. Every time you discover something, you're given another proof of my God. Because in my worldview, my God's intelligent, and you would understand it. Why should the world be intelligible if we're here from the goo through the zoo to you? Why should we be able to discover natural laws? It would make no sense that they would be here or that we would even be able to understand them. The fact we understand them and can discover them shows we are souls made in his image. 
using the mind of God to discover them. Now, somebody might say, well, pastor, I know a lot of Christians who are really smart people. Yes, but remember, I didn't say they couldn't do smart things. I'm just saying they can't explain why they do smart things. I can explain why Richard Dawkins is an atheist. He can't explain why I'm a Christian. Let me help you. Richard Dawkins, a famous atheist, I can definitely explain why he's an atheist. He's rejected the God of the Bible and chosen to suppress his knowledge and then use all the understanding that God has given him to make excuses not to serve him. Now, can he explain that I'm a Christian? No, because he may say something like, well, Joe was a Christian because he was born and raised one. No, I left my family religion at 16, uh, if not before that, dropped out of high school, did drugs the rest of the eight times. Well, Joe picked Christianity because it was in North America. No, I was studying all the forces and all those different things, doing LSD, peyote, like shrooms, and and, uh, not peyote, but doing shrooms like the Native Americans did peyote. I was a naturalistic pagan. I was a pagan in my own descent into sin. What was the transformation of my life? Jesus came into my heart November 5th, 1995. There was a transformation of soul that opened my eyes to these understandings. See, he can't explain what happened in my soul through naturalistic understandings, but I can explain what happened in his soul by spiritual understandings. So the idea isn't that no one has a worldview. Every single person has a worldview. So when people of our generation were rejecting biblical foundations, it's not like they left the ideas of foundations. They just decided to build their houses on sand instead of God's word. Jesus said, those who hear these words of mine and build their life upon it, it's like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. Can I go through these biblical presuppositions really quick before we go today? Can I hear an amen if you want him? Amen. So when I open up the Bible, what's the first thing I have to presuppose? In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, the Bible wants you to believe there's a God. God is telling you there's a God. Now, some of you might just think that's just too simple. But once again, what's the alternative? If God doesn't tell you there's a God, not only will you never know there's a God, you'll never know yourself. Let me explain this to you. Let's imagine that you were born and your parents were scientists that wanted to do an experiment on you, something similar to what Jim Carrey's family did in the movie where they put him in a reality show for his whole life, and he never knew he was living on a Hollywood set. Did anybody see that movie? It's a little bit older, but just track with me. Your family abandons you on this island, but they don't let you die. They have robots that they develop that feed you and care for you and teach you things. Now you get of age, maybe 9 or 10 years old, and you start asking those big questions again. Where did I come from? Who am I, and where do I I go when I die? Let me ask you a question. Could you ever figure out that, those three questions without somebody telling you? In the scenario on the island, could you ever self-discover? Do you see the air of self-discovery? Whenever people talk about self-discovery, it is impossible. You cannot discover where you came from by looking at yourself because yourself is not the origin of yourself. You have to look outside of yourself to know the reason for yourself. Are you getting this? So now imagine somebody comes to the island and it's your parents, but you don't know them, and now they begin to explain to you the entire process. We love you. Believe it or not, we do. We did this experiment. You have our DNA. Here's all the test things, all of this right here. Now, at that point, it's your choice to believe or disbelieve, isn't it? It would be up to you. You could believe or disbelieve, but guess what you couldn't do? You couldn't present another set of facts for your origin that could compete with theirs, could you? 
because you would have no other competing information. Therefore, it would either just be true or untrue, but you wouldn't have something else to say, well, you're not my parents. This person over here is my parents. You would know no names, right? You wouldn't be able to say a better story of how the computers got there. Your guessing or your opinions would not compare to their story. Now let's assume they were telling you the truth. At this point, it would only be your pride that would keep you from saying, Mom, Dad, thank you for telling me. Put yourself now on this planet, which is in that scenario, that island, and instead of robots, there's other human beings. And God, through his word, is saying, Hello, I know where you came from. I was there when I made the first of you. And this is what happened, and this is why there's evil, and this is why there's different cultures. The Tower of Babel, we split off by languages and lived in different continents and different temperatures, and that's why we have different genetics. But here's where you came from. Now let me ask you a question. Can you just reject the Bible because you don't like it? Can you just say, I don't like that story? You better come up with a better story if you're going to do it. Otherwise, now it's your pride that doesn't accept God's story. So your turn, tell me where you came from. From the goo through the zoo to you, that's getting tired. We already defeated that three times. Try something else. Well, we came from a different God. Show me that God's writings. Let's hear his story. Because maybe two people came to the island. Let's now compare it. I'll put my Jesus against your God any day. Where else? Where else you want to go? Let's go. Worldview time. It's a war. It's a battle. Your soul is at stake. You could be on a spaceship. Suicide's just your way to catch the comet. You remember that? People committed suicide to catch a comment. It matters what you believe, friends. And if you don't know what you believe, somebody else will tell you what to believe. Put that on Facebook, please. So we believe there's a God. And then what's the very next thing that we hear is that he creates. That right there starts to blow people's minds. There's a God that's out of matter, space, and time. That's the explanation of matter, space, and time. Okay. So a computer did not create the first computer. Yes. Something other than a computer created computers, right? A first, the first computer did not come from a computer, did it? Because it didn't exist. So where does it come from? It comes from a creator. Where did matter, space, and time come from? More matter? Matter didn't exist. I'm asking you where matter came from. It came from a big bang, a bang of nothing. Who banged it, right? I believe in the big bang. I just know who banged it. God said, let there be light and bang it happened. So what we are saying as Christians, creation comes from a creator. Your turn. And then now let's go to humanity. What's the presupposition of humanity? We were made in the image of God. That's why we're different in animals. Do you notice that whenever they time they show you these charts of how you came from the goo through the zoo to you, that they never explain to you what happened to those missing links, why they're not still alive, and why there are not still parts of that happening right now. The greatest explanation they'll give you is it happened over millions and billions of years. Okay, well, there should still be Neanderthals alive. There should still be all of these missing links alive. There's monkeys alive. There's apes alive. There's still all of these other kinds of creatures. Where's our missing links? Where's our half man, half animal, other words? Now you know why they took the aborigines and people of color and started killing them, putting their skulls in Smithsonian Institutes, finding missing links. Because they were foolish in their heart. We were made in the image of God. Now right here, somebody goes, oh, pastor, you don't actually believe in six days we were made, and on the sixth day, God made humans. The world is billions of years old, the universe, and we know there are stars, 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 so far, far, far away. It would take millions of years to get there. Yeah, that's true. God made it in one day. Can I show you how? 
He said, let there be light. Put one here and put one way over there. Oh, you say that's so simple. Let me ask you a question. You looked at Adam and Eve. How old would you have guessed they were? About 30 years old. How old were they? One day. When he made the garden, did he give a bunch of seeds and say, have fun? When he made the earth, did he start with the molten lava? Or did he make a full-size earth? God made a universe, the age of what it would be to sustain where we were. Just like he made a man look like he was 30, but he was only a day old. Now, right here, people may say, oh, well, Pastor, that's mean of God, because now he's playing tricks with scientists. Scientists study the rock, and now they see it's millions and millions of years old, but you say it's only 6,000 years old. Why would God play that trick? No, I didn't say he's playing tricks, because if the scientist put on the Christian worldview, the scientist would say to himself, this is the complexity of God in the rocks, the creation, and if we were to start from scratch with these materials, that's how long it would take. But God didn't start from scratch. He started with his miraculous power. Oh, isn't that something? I dare you to try to defeat that. I'm telling you, I do this all the time. And now we go to humanity, and then people get really sassy. They go, well, pastor, what about all the evil in the world? There can't be a God because there's evil. I say, shh, you can't talk about evil if you're an animal that doesn't exist in the animal kingdom. Might is right. What's your problem with evil? Dogs don't have a problem with it. The apes don't have a problem with it. I watched on YouTube a lion eat its little lioness. Didn't have one problem with it. Where's your problem with evil again? Oh, yeah, that's in my box of morality because we have souls and we don't like evil. Let me tell you why your soul has a problem with evil. Because we disobeyed God and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now we make choices. And because of that, we make wrong ones, and there's three kinds of evil that came that day. We made the wrong choice. Natural evil happened. Katrina happened a few years ago. I lived in New Orleans. I did much relief there. Many of you have friends and family in Puerto Rico. That's not God shaking the earth. What happened was 6,000 years ago when we sinned, the blessing over this earth was taken away. So now the earth is on principles that don't care about you. And when you see natural disaster, you're not supposed to look at God like he's angry. You're supposed to be reminded of the fall and how we ruined the Garden of Eden. Okay, there's your natural disaster. How about this? Individual evil. Why do people do individual evil? Because God gave them a choice. And then now somebody goes, oh, God, I got him on this one. I got him. I got him. I got the pastor. Watch, watch. So God's all-knowing, right? Yep. So God knew Adam and Eve would sin? Yep. So God's the fault for evil then because he knew he would sin and he created them. See, got you. God's the source of evil. Hold on. God didn't make us to have evil. God gave us a choice. Oh, but he still knew. And this is what we say, absolutely. And guess what? Can I show you how I throw it right back on them? Can I show you? Because if God didn't give us a choice of good and evil, you wouldn't have a logical problem with evil. You wouldn't know yourself. You would be a robot just doing what the God that created you told you to do. The very thing they used to stick their nose up at God, the argument of self-identity, I don't like it, and I wouldn't exist without a choice. You would be a robot. I love Jesus. I can't do evil because it's not in my programming. God gave us the choice of good and evil. We chose evil, but he loved us enough to make that choice so that we could experience love. You have no problem with evil if you're just an animal, and now you're trying to use logic to disprove it, which they call the problem of evil. If God's so powerful and God can stop evil, why hasn't he stopped evil? God could. He would have to start with you and send you to hell. Do you want to go out with the trash now? Or he could take away your choice. Those are his three options. It's it. He ends evil right now by sending all evil people, including us, to hell. Or he takes away your choice. You never know good or evil. Or number three, he gives you a choice to choose good or evil, and he lets you decide where you go.
I'm thankful for option three, so I'm not a robot. So we look at the Bible, and the Bible's very clear about sin. Somebody say, preach it. Come on, you're not bored yet, are you? This is helping you understand the world you live in. I'm not trying to be a know-it-all. I'm just showing you the God who knows it all. Look at what the Bible says. There's no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. So what's the third kind of evil? The third kind of evil is cultural evil. Why do you think it's possible for the Jewish people to be treated like rats and animals by a whole culture? Because they individually chose evil and allowed themselves to be brainwashed. They chose to follow that path. How do you think the Mayans could take people by the thousands and sacrifice them to their gods and then party and not even care? Children are screaming and dying on those altars at those pyramids. Like, we want to go see Machu Picchu. That's so cool. Like, do you have any idea how many people died there? Let's, let's go to the Roman gladiator arenas. Do you have any idea how many people died there? Come on, somebody. Why is that? Because cultural evil comes from individual evil. No one understands God. No one seeks him. All have turned away. So aren't you happy today Jesus came to die on the cross? Because that's the thing that we then see in our Bible is that Jesus is the answer to the problem of evil. So what does he do for the problem of evil? Does he tell you to fix yourself? Because that would be like as if you had AIDS in your, left, in your body and you try to give yourself a blood transfusion from your left arm to your right arm. Could you heal yourself that way? No, we needed an outside healer to come into the broken matrix and fix it. So what's your solution? You get all upset about evil, show me your solution. Well, see, my God is a God of force and energy and love. And through the karmic cycle of reincarnation, we get more yin than we get yang. Okay? So that's your solution? Is an endless cycle of karma to enter nirvana? Who says which cycle works? Because there's a hundred different deviations of karma. Whose God is in charge of all of that? Oh, our God's just a force. So you have a mind, but your God's like electricity. You're smarter than your God. Then I could just turn him off. Eastern religion fails. Once again, we come back only to the Judaic face of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know worshiping trees like our ancestors is not true, and we know the Egyptians weren't gods. Their bodies are there. They didn't go anywhere after they died. And ancient aliens ain't true either, guys. So listen, we're left now with the most remarkable man in history, a Jewish person who walked the shores of Galilee, who said this, I will stake everything I teach you based on this claim. You kill me, I will rise in three days. That's what our God did. Buddha's still dead. I'll listen to Jesus. Muhammad's still dead. I listen to Jesus. Now those stories, you say, well, came from those disciples. Do you know what, what those disciples did for Jesus? They laid down their lives unto death, believing they saw him. I know people will die for lies, but people will not be ready to die for something they know is a lie. Muslims flew themselves into, uh, uh, took planes, flew into buildings because they believed they would go to paradise. People do crazy things with make-believe. I understand that. But they didn't think it was a lie. No one ever, I'm not, ta I'm not talking about Peter who got crucified upside down, John who got boiled alive, Thomas himself who touched him got speared in India. These are the facts of history. You want to deny that? You deny all facts of history. I'm talking to someone that doesn't even know their past. So let's keep talking history. Our history book said these men and women died believing they saw him. Not once did any of our martyrs ever scream out, it's a lie, don't kill my daughter, because they would rape and kill the girls. Do not kill my daughter and torture them. Do not kill me. I know where his body is. We all just made it up. Peter wanted to make some money on the side. They died singing hymns, and many of their persecutors died with them because they were convinced, just like the man who pierced Jesus in the story of the, of the cross, and there's a movie about it. He himself said, this man must have been the son of God, a Roman soldier. They would convert. We brought the Roman Empire, that pagan nation, to its knees in 300 years. 
and not one sword was lifted by a Christian. We won the worldview war. And now we're losing because people don't believe in Jesus like they used to back then. You need to go back to the Jesus of the Bible. Stake your life on the cross. Salvation, not having time to go through it, but you get it in the general sense today. As we've talked about, we're born again. We're transformed. So now think about this. Why should this man 2,000 years ago mean anything to me? Richard Dawkins can't explain that. I know there's people that convert to other religions, don't get me wrong, but if you listen to the stories of conversion of Christianity, almost every single one of them is based on a personal experience with God. It's not like, oh, you know, I was searching in the library. I've literally heard people tell me this. I was searching in the library, and, and I saw this religion, and it kind of made sense. So now, you know, I'm a Taoist. Or, you know, I was hanging out with my friends, and I thought I would give, you know, Hinduism a try. You talk to Christians. Nine times out of ten, they will tell you stories like the way I, I tell a story. I was as far away from God in my mind as possible. I'm talking November 5th, 1995. If you would have asked me for the top 1,000 things on my mind that day, Jesus Christ would not even have made the list. And yet I found myself by the end of the day weeping at the feet of Jesus at my mother's kitchen table. The testimony of Christians throughout the ages. We convert more world religious people then are born in a world at a year. More people are converting to Christianity than are being born on the planet. More people convert from every possible religion you can think of than we ever convert to them. And they are so scared that they make laws against us. Muslims can be Muslims in America. We cannot be Christians in their nations. You can be a Chinese communist and live in this nation. We cannot be Christians in China. That's how threatened they are by this worldview in the 21st century. That is why I wear this bracelet to remind me of the persecuted church, and I'll give some to you for free so you can pray for them. They are so threatened by our worldview that they have to kill us and martyr us because they can't win the battle of truth. And then lastly, what is our presupposition as Christians that builds our worldview from that axiom? It's we believe in judgment. You can't go too far in our Bible without hearing about judgment. Genesis chapter 3, they sin, they lose their spiritual covering, they know they were naked. They see their naked body for the first time. Why didn't they see their naked body? Because they were shining brighter than the sun with the glory of God. The judgment of God took that away. Now pain and birth came to the women. Childbirth was supposed to be fun. Now weeds came on the ground, all of these things. What do we see by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6? The world is being destroyed by a flood. What do we see by the time of, of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah? They're being sexually perverted. God is sending down uh, fire and brimstone. Our God is a God that judges. How many know when somebody says only God can judge me? That's a scary thing. You should think about what you've just said. And then everybody says, well, you know what? Then let God do it. Don't tell me. I'm telling you what the judge said because he commanded me to. So the same judge that you don't want me to talk about is the same judge that's commanded me to preach to you, his judgments. How many know if you were about ready to face Judge Judy and she wrote a book, it would be a good thing to read it before you showed up to the courtroom? How many know you should read a little bit about the judge's book and what he's going to judge you by? Can I hear an amen? amen. Lastly, everybody say, defend and destroy. Say it like you mean it, and it's going to be epic. Defend and destroy. You have to learn how to defend and to destroy. In closing, I know it's been a little bit long, but get this passage here. 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Everybody get this. The most important thing we do with worldviews is keep Jesus in our hearts as Lord. I'm not here to pick fights. 
I'm not here to be a know-it-all. Even with you here that are here today, I love you. Can I tell you why I'm here? Because Jesus is Lord. He's not just a landlord. He's the Lord of all. He doesn't just take care of little things in my life. He's got it all. My whole big old life is in his hands today. My family, my children, my career. How many of you have Jesus as the Lord of your life? You've made the right decision. You're not in the matrix. Welcome to reality. You ready to live for Jesus? Now look at what it says. Always be prepared to give an answer, apologia in the Greek, to everyone who asks, to give the, hope, uh, to give the reason of the hope that you have. As you'll see here, apologia is a Greek word, and we confuse it with apology. An apology is saying, I'm sorry. An apologia is to give an offense. Here's a little funny thing, is that people try to give apologies while they're giving apologias. And let me give you an example of that. I'm sorry you took it that way, but you're so sensitive sometimes. I wish you would understand me better. How many know that's not a real apology? That's an apologia. That's a defense. The word defense means I'm going to defend myself. The word apology means I'm going to repent for what I've done. Know the difference, especially when you get married, okay? An apology is like this. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. What can I do to make it up to you, and how do I do better next time? That's a real apology. We're not giving that to the world. Get what it teaches us. We're giving an apologia, which is a defense. Give a defense, an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Now watch this. But do this with gentleness and respect. How many saw me respect the gentleman when we were on the streets? Didn't disrespect him. The only time I interrupted him was a mistake. I didn't mean to. I thought that he was done talking. But how many of you know he got his worldview rocked? I didn't have to call him names. I didn't have to be angry at him. I was gentle and I was respectful. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now watch, verse 16, keeping a clear conscience. That means you're not going to regret after you've done this. Like, man, I shouldn't have said that to that guy. He didn't listen to me. And I said, you're going to hell anyway, so you'll figure out when you get there. No, I want to have a clear conscience so I'm done talking to people. I can go, that went pretty good. Even if they didn't listen, that went pretty good. So watch, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So people will always put us down. Do you know that they called us in the, in the early church atheists? You know why the Romans called us atheists? Because we only worshiped one God and they worshiped hundreds. They literally thought we were atheists. Well, y'all don't even really believe in gods, man. You only have one. That's not enough. You're an atheist. You know what else they called us? They called us cannibals. You know why? Because when we took communion, we said, Jesus, thank you for your blood and your body. They thought we were eating the flesh. And eventually, Roman Catholics believed that, but that was actually an accusation against us. We were like, no, 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 symbolic, symbolic, not cannibals here. You see, we've always been slandered. But you know what? Our testimonies have won out over the years. The Christians, when they were starting to grow in numbers, you know what started to end? Abortion. You know what started to end? Infanticide. They would take their children in the Roman Empire that they didn't want and throw them to the dumps. We would adopt their children. You know what also began to end? Slavery. We began to set our slaves free. We began to teach how to live free from slavery. Those things begin to end when Christians live by worldviews that change the culture. Your worldview can change the culture. And then lastly, demonic strongholds as what we've already gone over. And notice once again, in closing, is that we don't demolish people. We defend our belief. Okay, you want to know why I'm a Christian? This is why. Okay, give me all the questions. Okay, who did Cain marry? Uh, what does this say about the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Okay, give me a second. Give me a second. I'm going to try to answer all these things, okay? But then at the end of the day, we're going to say, now it's my turn. Bring your worldview here, and we're going to demolish it. 
Don't always just feel like you're on the defense. See, imagine with the last topic that we covered, suicide. Imagine I go on to Oprah Winfrey, and they just look down on me. Oh, my goodness. And you call yourself a pastor, and you say people who commit suicide go to hell. You are so uncompassionate. What would be the first thing out of my mouth? Do you believe in a God of compassion? Where do you get compassion from? Do you believe in evolution? If you believe in evolution, you're happy now. There's more food for you to eat. They've just taken themselves out. Survival of the fittest. What's your problem? You see how quickly that just changes that conversation? They're not ready for it. Because what are they ready to ask you? Who did Cain marry? They're ready to ask you, if God knew there would be evil, why is there They're ready to ask you these ridiculous questions, borrowing logic from our worldview. Just start right there and say, why is there logic? It seems like you're using it pretty good today. Where would you get that from? Does the monkey have that? Did you get that from him or did you get that from in the beginning was the Logos and the Logos was with God. Hello, and the Logos was God and he made himself flesh. Where would you get it from, baby? And sometimes they'll get so angry. They'll say, I could just make up stuff too. I got logic from the tooth fairy. Okay, let's worship him then. Are you worshiping the tooth fairy? You're a hypocrite now. You show them that they're lying. They're just suppressing knowledge and making excuses because the Bible says they know their creator in their heart. And when the gospel is preached to them, they hear the truth. And that's why there's a hell, because they reject the truth. In John 3.16, the Bible teaches us. This is the last scripture, and then we'll close out. Band, would you come, please? How many got something good out of today? Amen. Even though this was broken, did you guys get something good? Amen. Come back next week. Look at what it says. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now watch this. Tell me if this makes sense to you for how you see the world today. This, to me, explains it all. This is the verdict. This is the judgment right here. Here it is. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Isn't that really why people don't like our worldview? When you're watching a movie in the movie theater, would you want somebody to put a flashlight right in your face? But if there was an earthquake happening and you had to get out real fast, would you be happy for that flashlight? Why is it sinners don't like the light? Because they love their darkness. Why is it Christians run to the light? Because we're running from the darkness. So this is the verdict. Light came into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Look at it. Verse 20. Everyone who does what is evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Do you know that when I was talking to that gentleman, after his worldview was clearly rocked, dude, I just literally told him, you cannot prevent someone blowing up the entire world and eating their children like veal. Then I preached to him personally because I didn't want him to feel on the spot. And I said, well, now are you ready to repent and serve Jesus? All the excuses started coming. But what would I reduce them down to? He hates the light. And he fears that now his deeds will be exposed. Because what did all of us have to do when we became Christians? Just study? Just study like a Buddhist and just practice stuff? No, when we became Christians, we had to open up our heart. The most secret, secret, shameful, embarrassing things, and we had to go, I surrender these, God. I give them to you. I give the things that I would never want to have beyond this screen. I would be happy the screen is off if you tried to play my life story. And the Bible continues into verse 21. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. 
We had another interview we couldn't bring up. Altar workers, would you come, please? It was a girl. She was an atheist. She was with her boyfriend. And she said, I'm fully committed to this. So I read her, Dr. Alex Rosenberg, Life is Meaningless and all those things. She's like, 100%. I agree with it. I go, okay. I said, then you're denying yourself then. The eye that's in you is an illusion. She goes, eh, I don't know about that. But I go, well, that's what you have to do. She goes, I'm not sure about that one yet. I go, well, can you please be a consistent atheist? I'm tired of meeting hypocritical atheists. Isn't it fun to throw it back on them sometimes? Because what do they always say? That church is full of... Atheists are the most hypocritical people you would ever meet in life. Because the consistent view of an atheist is to eat, sleep, drink, and die. That's it. No compassion, no care for others, but that's another discussion. So I got her to that point. little sassiness, but she could tell I was loving on her. And then I said, don't you think about it on the inside that you're really a person and life has meaning because you're kind of dating a person and you're acting like life has meaning with this person and she's going to be a lawyer. And that's a great person to have as a lawyer, an atheist who thinks life's meaningless. Won't take a bribe on the side, I'm sure, right? Come on. That's how they justify it. Life's meaningless. I'll take a bribe. Who cares, right? So this is how she thinks. I go, you actually live with a meaningful life. I know you're just being hypocritical because your worldview is not consistent. You can't live with it, so you have to borrow mine. You just hypothetically say these things as hot air to make yourself feel better. And I said, I'll prove it to you. You think about it. And she goes, oh, I got you now, Pastor. I don't think about it at all. And I go, no, 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 no. I'm not saying like you wake up every day and think about it in that way. I'm with you. I wasn't thinking about Jesus the day I got saved. I said, but here's the thing. When you think about meaning, you know your thinking cannot answer meaning. And that place, you think about it, you are honest. And you know it doesn't make sense to you. She goes, yeah, but I don't think about it a lot. And I said, that's the problem. I said, the more you think about it, you'll, you'll find Jesus. Because what did he just say there? Those who are seeking the truth find God. So imagine the atheist says now, I'm going to think more about the stuff I've been afraid to think about, and that's why I always have earbuds all the time. That's why I'm always in a relationship, can never be alone. I fall asleep at the TV because I can't think to myself. But I'm actually going to let this happen a little bit. Where did I come from? Yeah, coming from a big bang doesn't make sense. You know what she's going to find? She's going to find the God that's been waiting there the whole time. And so what we need to do as Christians is invite them to that path, to sow seed into their heart so that that can grow. I hope today where she's at, she starts to think about things she hasn't thought about in a while because when she thinks about it, she knows it doesn't make any sense. Amen. Can we stand up to our feet and give it up for Jesus today? Come on, it's all about Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Amen.